Genesis chapter 41. We're looking at this series called Seriously, and we're looking at things that cause us in life just to step back and go, seriously, I got to deal with that? I don't know if, if that word is said a lot in your house like it is at our house, but we say that word a lot like, seriously? This is happening to me? Seriously? I got to deal with this? Uh, fact is, I said it when I got the ticket. Seriously? I'm on the way to pastor's conference. Talk about Jesus and all this other stuff. And you're like giving me a ticket. And so, but today, and so we've looked in the past, we've looked at seriously, I got to deal with an imperfect family. Seriously, I got to deal with a dysfunctional family. Seriously, I got to deal with adversity. Seriously, I got to deal with discouragement. And we've been looking at all these different subjects. Now, we're coming to a word today that we're going to look at, a subject that we're going to look at, and you may think, I can't believe that would be like a challenge. And it's this issue of prosperity. Like, seriously? Seriously, I got to deal with prosperity? Because there's a lot of people say, hey, bring it on. I mean, I'd love to have to deal with that. But Thomas Carlyle said this. He said, adversity is hard on, on a man. But for every one man who can stand prosperity, there is a hundred who can stand adversity. There is something about this issue of prosperity that has subtle seduction that can cause us to drift farther away from God to where we trust more in chariots and we trust more in riches and we trust more in ourselves and what we can do and the American dream than we do in God and himself. fact is, the Bible is full of examples of men that prosperity wrecked their life, wrecked their family. King Saul, King Saul, when he became king, was so insecure. He was so um, humble, if you will, that when he became king, he didn't want to be around the people. He didn't want them to see him. But after years of leading, he became so arrogant that he tried to kill his successor because prosperity and riches and wealth and position, it became all about him. King David King David was said to be a man after God's own heart. But yet, after leading in prosperity and success, and he commits adultery. And then to try to cover up his adultery, he had her husband put to death, murdered him. Solomon. When Solomon became king, God asked him, what is the one thing, one thing that you need me to do for you? And it wasn't about riches, and it wasn't about success, and it wasn't about prosperity. He said, God, give me the wisdom, give me the knowledge, give me the ability to be able to judge right from wrong, to be able to discern what is best, to help me learn how to lead these people. But then you look at the end of Solomon's life in Ecclesiastes and other books of the Bible, and you find that he became foolish, he became self-indulgent, you found that he could find no peace and no happiness in his prosperity. There is something about this issue of prosperity. There is something about this issue of wealth. There is something about this issue of position that is seductive. And that if we're not careful, will lead us farther and farther and farther away from God. That's why Oswald Chambers said this, not every man can carry a full cup. Not every person can handle this issue of prosperity. And, I, and Joseph, Joseph was a godly man, and he was a man of faith, and God took him through some, some things in his life to where he no longer trusted in wealth. He no longer trusted in riches. He, he no longer trusted in 
Well, even people. And the story of Joseph's life that he goes from, from prison now to, to prominence. I mean, one day Joseph is in prison and he's in this cell and he'd been there for two years. And, and the next day, he's promoted to prominence and, and great success. And you find in Joseph's life that prosperity did not change him. All the way through Joseph's life, it kept saying, God was with him, God was with him, and God was with him. Through the difficulties of life, and even through his success, he understood priorities of life. And, and one day, Pharaoh had a couple of dreams, and he called in the, the most Ill, intelligent experts of his day. And says, can you help me interpret these, these dreams that I'm having? Because, see, Pharaoh knew that the dreams were significant. The dreams weren't just some weird dreams. He knew they were from God. He knew they were a warning. He knew that they were significant in his life. But nobody could, could interpret the dreams. Nobody could help him. None of the experts of his day. And remember the cupbearer that was in prison, one of, one of the jail mates with, with Joseph? And Joseph had interpreted his dream and then the chief baker's dream. And Joseph says, one thing I ask of you is this, that you remember me when you're back to prominence, when you're promoted back. All I ask, just to say thank you, all I ask is that you would remember me. Well, the cupbearer looks at Pharaoh and says, you know what? I used to sell, share a jail cell with a man. His name was Joseph. And me and the, and the chief baker, we each had a dream. And it was a complex dream. It was a difficult dream to interpret. And there was this man named Joseph. And Joseph not only interpreted the dreams, but they both came true. They both came true in my life, and they both came true in the other guy's life as well. And no advance warning. Joseph is in, in prison and... The day started off just like any other day. And Pharaoh summoned Joseph to come before him to interpret the dream. You never know when you're in the pit of life, when you're going through difficulty of life, when God's going to lift you out. It was because of his obedience and the warden came to Joseph and said Pharaoh needs to see you this is a huge deal and so the, the scripture says in Genesis chapter 41 verse 14 and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a long intro and then I'm going to give you three principles of how to honor God uh, through prosperity watch this then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and, and they quickly brought him out of the pit And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh and said, it, it, it had been two years. It had been two years that the cupbearer had forgotten him. It had been two years that he sat in prison. And now all of a sudden, he's out. Uh, verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'd had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. Listen, I don't care how bright and brilliant people of this world are. If they do not have God, they are devoid of the Spirit they are devoid to be able. They do not have the ability to interpret the things of God. And it was true in his day too. 
And I've heard it said, said of you that, that when you hear a dream, you can and interpret it. Now listen, Joseph is 30 years of age at this time, and, and in, in their culture, in their time, that was awful young to be put in this position. And not only that, he'd been a, he'd been a prisoner, he'd been a slave for, for 13 years, his, his reputation had been destroyed by Potiphar's wife, remember that? Even though he did the right thing, she had trashed him and destroyed his reputation. And, but, but here's the thing, when, when Joseph answers Pharaoh, Sometimes in Scripture, what is not there is as important as what is there. And what is not there in Joseph's answer, this is just so huge. He didn't say, you know, king, you know, Pharaoh, before I interpreted this dream, i got to let you know, the cupbearer, two years ago I interpreted a dream for him. Two years ago I told him, that when you get out, when, when this dream comes through true, when you have the ear of Pharaoh, do not forget me. Remember me. That guy forgot me. And because he forgot me, I've been in prison for two years and I've suffered for two more years. If you're trusting your life to the cupbearer, that man's a bum. There was no bitterness with Joseph. There was no resentfulness of Joseph. There are so many people that you remember every offense that has ever been done to you. And you haven't gotten to the place to forgive. And you got, haven't come to the place to move on. Listen, until you forgive, you will stay in the pit of life the rest of your life. Man, there was a time, listen, there was a time that I was in the pit of unforgiveness in my life. And I was so afraid that I would forget the offenses, the hurt, the pain that was done to me that I actually took a legal piece of paper and I wrote out the names of the people and what they did to hurt me because I was afraid I would forget over time. And my pit got darker and darker and deeper and deeper. Not so with Joseph. See, there are some people that you... People don't even have to ask you who's hurt you. It just kind of comes up in conversation. And they know everybody that has hurt you, everybody that you're bitter against, everybody that you hate, everybody that you resent. Not so with Joseph. The cupbearer was wrong. But Joseph had worked through it. fact is, from, from age 30 to 110 in Joseph's life, you cannot find one record of one resentful word that he spoke, one bitterness about his dad, about his brothers who tried to murder him. And I'm telling you, do not miss next week. We're looking at the issue of forgiveness. And we're looking at the issue of what is forgiveness, what isn't forgiveness, and how do you know? That's the big question. How do you know when you're truly forgiven? We're going to find the principles right out of Joseph's life. And he didn't speak a resentful, bitter word about his dad, about his brothers who tried to murder him about Potiphar who threw him in, in jail for, for being innocent, about Potiphar's wife who trashed him and destroyed his reputation. You don't find any of that in his life. Man, some of you here, listen, let me just tell you, some of you here are allowing an ex-wife, an ex-husband, a dad, a brother, ex-relationships, ex-boss, ex-supervisor, to continually wreck and destroy your life because you're unwilling to forgive them. And you will never get out of the pit of life. 
until you come to the point to where you can release them and you can forgive them. And Joseph had this unbelievable ability because his trust was not in people and what they said about him. His trust was in God and God alone. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. In other words, Joseph wasn't arrogant. Joseph wasn't like, you know what? I'm pretty awesome. I mean, I've, you've, you've already heard about me. You've seen my resume. Man, I, I've not only received some great dreams in my life, but I've interpreted some of the most difficult dreams. The, your dream, that's, that's, like a, that's like a piece of cake. He honored God. He says, you know what? It's because of what God has done in my life. It's because it all comes from him. It's only because of my relationship to him and what he's done in my life that I can interpret these dreams. And so Pharaoh told him the dreams, and he actually had two dreams. And Joseph told him, says, you know what? Both those dreams are really the same dream with the same message. And, uh, and, and here's what it means. It means that you're going to go through Egypt is going to go through seven years of, of prosperity. It's going to go through seven years of, of great time and prosperity. But i got to tell you, there's a depression coming like none other. And you're going to go through, you're going to lead a country through seven years of, of a great depression. And so whatever grain you store up in the seven years of prosperity, in the seven years of just off-the-chart growth and personal wealth and everything, the grain that you store up in those seven years is going to take to get you through the seven difficult years. And then Joseph wasn't even asked for his opinion or, 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 or recommendations, but Joseph says, if I was you, I would tell the people that a fifth of their grain, they have to give to the government. And then you build storehouses that in that seven years, you save up a fifth of the grain from every person. And then when the depression hits, that you can feed the country. In verse 33, um, the scripture says, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning Joseph's talking and, and wise men and set him all over the, over the land of Egypt. And, and I don't believe, and none of the commentators or theologians believe that, that Joseph was even self-promoting himself for that position. He was that kind of a guy. He wasn't a, he wasn't a self-promoter. I mean, there are some people that, that you know exactly every one of their accomplishments because they're telling you like every five minutes. And, and they're reminding you of how great they are and how wealthy they are and how successful they are and, and, and all of that other stuff. And Joseph wasn't that kind of a guy. And Joseph was just saying, if I was you, I would find someone that could administrate this. And, and verse 37 and 38, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And, and Pharaoh uh, said to his servants, and so, so, so he turns to his servants. And, and, and you just got to understand the, the magnitude of this. This is like being in the Oval Office. This is like going from prison to the Oval Office to where you got the president there and you got his cabinet there and, and they're now asking you for advice. And so he turns to his advisors and he says, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And, uh, who is that? But all through the scriptures it says that Joseph was a man that God was with him and God was with him. And, but everybody else knew that God was with him. Let me ask you. Do people in your business where you go to work, do they know God is with you? Do they know you're a believer? Do they know that you live your life differently than anybody in the world? 
I mean, I mean, do they know that this man, this woman, you're totally different. See, Joseph was that kind of a guy. Joseph, they knew that there was something different about him. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all of my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, Joseph, you're the number two guy. Man, you're the number two guy. Joseph is in prison one day and he's in the palace the next. Joseph is a, a slave, a prisoner, and, and he's young. He's 30 years of age. That tells me God doesn't look at age. God looks at his spirit being able to be on a man or a woman. And they respond. Verse 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. In other words, Joseph has territorial authority as well. I mean, Pharaoh's even given him more responsibility than, 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 than the dream indicated. And Think about the, the, the authority that Joseph has had up to this point. I mean, he was over Potiphar's house. That was kind of a small deal. He was over the, the prison. Remember that? The warden put him in, in place over the prison. And now he's going from that to where he has authority over Egypt. Jesus said this. Jesus said, who is faithful over a little? I'll give him much. Are you faithful? With what God has given you? Are you faithful with the wealth? Are you faithful with the resources? Are you faithful with the position? Are you faithful with what God... It's hard to ask God for a better job when you're not faithful with the one you got. And Jesus says, if you'll just be faithful over a little, because if I can trust you over a little, I can trust you over much. If he can't trust you over a little, he'll never be able to trust you over much. For years in my ministry, I had a youth at risk, youth at risk ministry in Houston, Texas, and we, we met in a racquetball center in the, the Crips and the Bloods and the Little Latin Kings, and we brought all those groups together and wouldn't let them fly their colors in the room and the whole deal. And, and I prepared for them as hard as I prepare today. Man, if you'll be faithful over a little, man, God will make you faithful over over much, verse 42, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's head and clothed him in garments and fine linen and, and put a gold chain around his, necks and his neck. And so now he's giving him like, well, he's giving him like a credit card with, with, with no debt limit. Hey, whatever you want, whatever you just, I, I, I totally trust you. And he dressed him. Remember, Joseph is the guy that could never keep a coat. <laughs> and now he's getting a coat again. And this has great significance because he had to lose the first two coats before he could get the third coat. See, the first coat re represented Joseph needed the approval of people. His self-image was wrapped up in what a dad thought of him and what brothers thought of him or what his friends thought about him or what people thought about him in his profession. And that had to go. 
Because if you are in life, if your goal in life is to get your approval from people, God will never be able to use you because you'll you'll worry more what people say about you than what God says about you. And that had to go. His second coat was this issue of, of his reputation. Man, he lost his reputation, not with God. And if you're going to follow God, there are going to be some people that are going to falsely accuse you, just like Joseph. And those two things had to go. And now he's being clothed with a, a royal robe. And he acts differently now in this robe than all of the other robes. And, man, can I just tell you a spiritual principle here? God will never take something from you. that if you live a life of obedience, that he will replace later with something better. I'm telling you, it's happened in my life. God restored his reputation. God restored his position. God restored everything in Joseph's life, but even bigger and better this time because of his obedience. Verse 43, and he made him ride in his second chariot. I mean, he had, I think it was a Dodge Charger. He had the second greatest car. And you know he was humble because he's like, God made him. And he called out before him, bow the knee, and thus he sent him over, set him over the land in Egypt. And so now he's like a celebrity and he has clout. And when he walked through the, and when he drove in the chariot, he walked through the, 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 the town or whatever, people bowed down to him and called out to him. Everybody knew who he was and everybody knew when he was in the room, they even changed his name because God restored him. God restored his reputation. You know, they changed Joseph's name, which means the revealer of secrets from the Spirit of God because God was on him. Someone give you a name like that in your office, in your family, in your community? This person's different. This person really knows God. Doesn't live life like everybody else lives life. And it had to mean everything to Joseph because his reputation had been destroyed and tarnished by Potiphar's wife. And there's three things, three principles that we can take from Joseph's life and and how we honor God how we leverage what God has given us. Um, we could even phrase it, we phrase it all there, how we worship God. And so these three things, real quickly, the first one is this, is, is Joseph honored God with his profession. Joseph honored God with his profession. Uh, Joseph understood that God placed him in that place of influence, and he was using the influence not for himself, not just for his resume, not just for his career, but he understood it was God that placed him in the profession for influence. And, and Joseph honored God with his influence, or honored God with his profession. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And so when, when Pharaoh offered Joseph the position, he did not refuse it. He did not say, you know what, I am not qualified. 
He did not say, you know, I'm only like 30 years old. I've been in prison. I, you know, my reputation has been tarnished. I've gone through a lot of hurt and pain. You know, I've tried this two times. I've been in management a couple of times. I, I was in there the first time in Potiphar's house and, and or the, sec, the first time Potiphar's house and that didn't turn out so well. And then in prison, I thought, you know what? I'll give it another shot. I mean, who could goof up prison? And so, uh, so I, I, I was the guy in prison and obviously I didn't do very well there and there was some hurt and pain. The cupbearer, he forgot me. Uh, he says, you know what? I, I, I'm not too much pain, too much, I, I'm not doing this. He didn't do that. He didn't even say, you know what? Have you forgotten I'm a Hebrew? Now, if you understood the cultural aspects of their time, this is unheard of. Hey, have you forgotten I'm like a Hebrew and you're putting me over the land of Egypt? You've got to be crazy. Humility is not insecurity. Humility is this. Humility is to be, be the ability to be honest about your strengths and your weaknesses. To understand how God has wired you and then being able, humble, to operate in the gifts that God has given you and, and not desiring other gifts and trying to operate in those gifts because it inflates your ego. Humility is, this in, is not insecurity. Humility is this ability to, to, to serve and work in your gifts for God's glory and not for yours. And by the way, Joseph never felt guilty about the perks that came his way. He never felt guilty about the second chariot. He never felt guilty about the gold that was wrapped around his neck. He never felt guilty about the royal robe. And you don't need to refuse to wear the gold change and or wear the ring, or ride in the chariot. And Joseph, man, took it in stride because he understood it was for God and for it was for influence of a, of, of a position. And Joseph knew that God was exalting him. And if, and if you have been blessed by God, by position, by profession, by prosperity. You don't need to feel guilty about it. But you need to honor God with it. And understand that God has given you great influence. Too much is given. Much is required. That's what Jesus said. Second thing is the way that Joseph honored God was he honored God with his purity. I mean, he honored God with his, his purity, and, and not just his sexual purity, but he honored God not only with his body, but he honored God with his integrity. He honored God with his honesty. He honored God with his business practices. He didn't conduct business like everyone else did. He wasn't an unethical person. Uh, verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when, when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the, the, the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. It was just like Joseph had said. And he gathered up all the food in all these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and, and put the food in, in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance, like the sea, sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it. 
for it could not be measured. I want you to know, Joseph was a hardworking guy. This wasn't just some position. This just wasn't some position where he just kind of told everybody else. Joseph wasn't superficial. Joseph wasn't a figurehead. You go through the scriptures and you find the, the ones that we just read. He went out. He traveled. He worked hard. He counted. He collected. He stored up. He took record of. He, he counted as long as he could. And before long, he could no longer count it. And Joseph wasn't just looking for a position. Joseph just wasn't looking for leisure time. Joseph was looking for an ability to make a difference. And, and he kept at it for 14 years. Anybody wants to lead in good times, right? Anybody wants to lead, lead a business or a church or an organization when, when, when everything is just going great and everything you touch turns to gold? Joseph led in that time with integrity, but he also led, who would want to lead in the seven difficult years? When families are starving and families are complaining and he's having to ration out, ration out food and he was a hard-working administrator and, and when God blesses you, you should thank him for the position and you should thank him for the influence and you should thank him for the, even the material blessings. But if you don't work hard, it doesn't matter. And Joseph continued to work hard and he gave God thanks and he, he developed his skills. And then verse 45, we find that Joseph gets married. He honored God. He worshiped God with his sexual purity. You see, in their day, it was totally acceptable to have multiple wives, polygamy. It was, it was, it was just kind of the thing that was done, kind of like in our culture, that, that our culture kind of sees living together. That's just okay. Joseph didn't live like the rest of the world. Joseph married and, and he stayed faithful. And he worshiped God and he honored God with his purity and his business pr principles and practices. And his yes was yes and his no was no, but he also honored God with his personal life. The last principle is this, is he, he honored God with his prosperity. And Joseph had this ability, he just... I mean, God was with him. You cannot live 13 years in the pit and watch God lift you out and not increase your trust of him. Joseph called the, the name of his firstborn, this is so important, Manisha, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. God taught me to forgive. God taught me to forgive. To forgive my dad. To forgive my brothers. And I'm going to honor God and I never want to forget that. I'm naming my firstborn son. So that whenever I call his name, I remember God is the one. I think that's one reason. I don't think it was the cupbearer's fault at all that he spent an extra two years in there. He needed the two more years to forget, to forgive. You'll never get out of the pit by spending your life looking back on all the people that have hurt you and let you down and betrayed you. In the name of the second, he called Ephraim, for God has made the fruitful, has made me fruitful dependence on God in the land of my affliction. 
God can make you fruitful in your pain. God can make you fruitful in your hurt. Joseph is saying, God helped me forgive. And God made me fruitful in my affliction and my hurt and my pain. Whenever God blesses you and gives you a new job or a better job or a raise or a promotion or, or a new car or a new house, or you tell him thank you. But you also honor him with your prosperity. And you give and you worship him. Man, we, we desperately need people that understand what it means to worship him with their life. In other words, you worship God with your money. You don't worship your money. You worship God with your profession. You don't worship your profession. Your job is not who you are. You do not get your significance by how much is in the bank or the position that you hold or how many people answer to you. It is in God and God alone. I, I will never forget uh, many years back, Garrett, my, my, uh, the youngest of our family, my youngest brother, lived with us for a while. And him and, the, and my two girls, Brittany and Amanda, they, they loved to play uh, Monopoly. And Garrett was ruthless at Monopoly. He took such advantage of my daughters. And, and, it, and it just it was always ended in tears. And so, but he had this same game plan that he always used. He had the same strategy. He would take his money, his Monopoly money, and he would hide it from them. And he would hide the property and he'd hide his money. And he'd, he'd stick it under the board, you know, or he'd stick it in his pockets or wherever. And then he would, he would uh, play on their emotions and say, I don't have much money left. I don't have any property. And, you know, even if you sell me that property, there's no way I could put houses on it or hotels on it or anything like that until he ended up like with all of their stuff I know it's it's ruthless and and he would pull out all of a sudden he'd pull out all of his money and he'd put hotels all at once on all of his property he just he'd just run the table he'd take all of their money and he'd have this pile of money and there's there's like weeping and gnashing of teeth and there's crying like uncle Garrett how could you I mean one of my daughters in the service last night, and she's 20, 21, and she's like still scarred. She's, Dad, it made me mad when you even talked about it last night. I'm like, you know, God needs to make you to forget, Amanda, forget, move on, let it go. But it brought up emotion. But, but I still remember that, that when the game was over, here's amazing, that, that whole pile of money, that whole pile of, of uh, a property that was so important to him and all the houses and all the hotels, it all goes back in the box. And one day for us, all the stuff, all the money, all the houses, all the cars goes back in the box. And only what counts is when we give an account to God, what did you do with the time, talent, treasure that I gave you? Did you use it for yourself? Or did you use it for influence, to grow the kingdom, to spread the gospel so people would be fed and people would come to know me? One day, 
It all goes back in the box. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And let me just ask you, what, what is God speaking to you this morning? Not what am I speaking to you, not what am I asking you to do. I am asking you, what is God saying to you this morning? What is God saying to you right now? I mean, you may be going through a time where you're asking seriously. And your first step may be this morning that you just need to accept him. And you need to ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and start a journey with him. You may need to follow him in believer's baptism like the two young girls did this morning. It's your testimony. It's normative for believers to follow him in believer's baptism once they've accepted him. Let me ask you, are you worshiping God through your profession? Are you worshiping God? Are you honoring God through your body, through your purity? Saying, bless you. Are you worshiping and honoring God through the profession, through the possessions that he has given you? Maybe this morning you need to realize that all that I have, all that I've been given, the possession, the materials, all that has been given to me by God. The scripture says that God has given us the ability to make wealth. Without him, we wouldn't have the mind. Without him, we wouldn't have the ability to make wealth. And maybe this morning, like Joseph, you need to decide, you know what? I'm going to leverage my influence for the kingdom. I'm going to leverage the blessings that God has given me. I'm going to live a life in such a way so people at the office can say, and God is with him. God is with her. We live in the most prosperous country in the world. How are you handling it? Is it bringing you closer to God or is it driving you farther away from him? At the end of the service, we do this every week. We pray for one another. It's what scripture calls us to do. This is normative. This is normal for us. And we'd love to pray for you this morning, whether it's a decision that you need to make, whether it's to accept Christ, whether it's to follow him in baptism. Maybe it's a decision that you're making with a profession. Maybe you've gotten a bad doctor's report. Maybe you have fear of the future. Maybe... Maybe you just need someone to pray for you. This is just normative. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. And when we stand, those of you that need prayer, I'm asking that you just step out and you move quickly down to the front. We'll have leaders down here, and we'd love to pray for you. You don't need to be, be embarrassed about that. We all need prayer. Part of the time that I spent in Dallas was for a group of pastors to gather around one another and just pray for one another. Every one of us needs prayer. You don't need to be embarrassed. Others will be coming with you. And you don't even have to be a member of Fellowship the Rockies. We just want to minister to you. If you need prayer, do not leave this place without allowing us to pray for you. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your grace. And Father, I ask right now in the power of your Holy Spirit that you will pull every person to you. That Father, that you'll give great comfort in this room. And that people will receive ministry, people will receive prayer as we pray for one another. Father, we give you this time. We dedicate it to you. Father, would you pull us close now? For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.